Amen. So, in the, uh, in the Star Wars movies, uh, in the Star Wars series, there is this, uh, this constant conflict between the light side and the dark side, between the Sith and the Jedi. And what you see, actually, as you watch through all nine, uh, hard to believe that there's nine of them, uh, but what you see as you watch through all nine of the, uh, the Skywalker Saga movies is that there is actually one consistent bad guy throughout the whole thing. And it's Emperor Palpatine, right? Well, you, he's, his identity is concealed in the first two. You've, you know, in one and two, you don't really know exactly who the, who the bad guy is. And then his identity is revealed in number three, right? And then in number six, you think that the emperor is dead. But then you come to find out when you get to the ninth one, he's actually not dead. And he's been pulling the strings all throughout this, this series, and I share that because what this passage is for uh, us and for the Ephesian church is it's really a warning in a lot of ways. It's, it's a reminder that if you are a Christian, and even if you're not a Christian, you have an enemy. And oftentimes we are unaware of the fact that we have an enemy and his name is Satan. Sometimes he is called the devil. And so what God is doing through this passage is he is trying to awaken uh, the us and uh, the original people to whom this letter was written. He's trying to awaken them to the reality that there is spiritual warfare that takes place uh, often behind the scenes, not unlike uh, what we see in that, that movie of, of, you know, Emperor Palpatine kind of working behind the scenes and trying to, uh, trying to overcome the light side. And so uh, this, this passage, it is really interesting that Paul, he could have ended the letter with kind of uh, some typical lovey-dovey stuff where he's like, oh, I love you guys. You're doing so good. Keep, you know, serving Jesus. But I think it's significant that he, that he ends his letter to the Ephesians with, the real, with this warning of get ready for war. Be prepared for battle because you are not going to live the Christian life unopposed. You are not going to live the Christian life unopposed. And so this, this passage here is... Paul's uh, final, uh, final portion of this letter to these people uh, to make them aware of the reality that they have an enemy, that there is a spiritual battle that is going on un- unseen to our eyes oftentimes. And what we need to remember, this is a good, a good principle that I want you guys to be thinking about as you read your Bibles, is you need to pay attention not only to the immediate context of what, what is being said and in what letter and all that kind of stuff, but you need to be thinking about the whole Bible context, okay? Where are you in relation to the cross? Are you prior to the cross? Are you after the cross? Are you in the Gospels where it's detailing the events leading up to the cross? Because where we are in this letter, it is post-cross, but what Paul is doing here is he's actually uh, 
speaking about something that uh, uh, this, this reality of this conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, that is, it, it predates the cross. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell. If you turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. So this is right after Adam and Eve have uh, chosen to disobey God. They have, uh, they have rebelled against God, and God, in his grace, is actually promising them a deliverer. He's, he's promising Jesus in this verse, but there is also something that is significant that is promised in this verse. Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what this is talking about here, this, this enmity, this conflict is between the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. And what you guys need to know is that there's no gray area. You are either in the kingdom of God or you are in the kingdom of Satan. There's no middle ground. There's nothing in between. And so the beauty of the gospel, what Jesus came to accomplish is to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness, from the power of Satan who seeks to deceive, divide, and destroy, to rescue people from his deceptions and bring them into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. And so Paul, because he's a good pastor, he wants to warn these Christians about the reality that they have an enemy, that Satan and his spiritual forces of darkness seek to uh, keep us deceived. They seek to divide us and they seek to destroy. That is Satan's mission. And so as we think about that, we need to also remember that Satan will not win the day. It's not like Star Wars in the sense that there's kind of this, it's like this back and forth between light and dark and it's kind of up in the air. It's like, no, Jesus totally crushed Satan at the cross. That is the beauty of it. In fact, there's another passage in Colossians that says that he put Satan and his, his uh, minions, uh, if you will, to open shame. He openly shamed them by triumphing over them through the cross. And so, even though Satan and his spiritual forces of darkness are defeated, that doesn't mean that they have surrendered. And that's something that we really need to wrestle with and we really need to remember. Just because uh, Satan is defeated, that doesn't mean that he thinks that he's defeated. Okay? He's uh, a little bit... Um, a little bit in denial in that way, is he still thinks that he can win. Which is silly when you think about who he's going up against, the God who created all things simply by speaking. But he's, he's, got a, he's delusional, I mean, he's what can we say? And, like, we're, like, we as sinful people are like cocky, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's because we, we think we're better than we actually are. Mm -hmm. 
And I wouldn't be surprised that, because say Satan, of course, he's defeated, or defeated enemy of the devil, he's sinful, he would also be that. And because he is, I mean, he's the devil, for goodness sake, he would definitely be very, like, think that he could do something. Absolutely, yes. So. And so, um, so as we're looking at this passage, what I want you guys to take away from it, and what I want you guys to remember is this. God has provided what we need for every spiritual battle that is ahead. That's the main theme. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to communicate to these, uh, to these Christians whom he loves, is that God has not left us unprepared and unaware of the reality that we have an enemy, but he has actually revealed who our enemy is, and he has given to us Weapons for the battle. And so, as we dive into this passage, we want to ask the question, what does this passage teach us about the spiritual battles of life? What does this passage teach us about spiritual warfare? Well, it teaches us two things, okay? First, this passage teaches us that God has revealed our opponent or the opponent in this battle. That's the, these little handout thingies if you want to pass those around. God has revealed our opponent in this battle. God has revealed our opponent in this battle. And second, God has granted to us equipment for the battle. So God has revealed our opponent in this battle, and God has granted to us equipment for the battle. Let's talk about that first one. God has revealed our opponent in this battle. God has revealed the opposition. Look with me at verse 11. It says this, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay? Look a little bit further down. Verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul, what he's doing here in this section is he begins by reminding these Christians that to follow Jesus means that you will encounter warfare. You will encounter opposition. It is to do battle, to do battle specifically with three areas. Battle with our own sinful desires, our own sinful hearts. Battle with the culture's sinful influence. And battle with the devil and his fallen angels. Sometimes these, these three are called uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? These are this pretty, pretty common way of talking about uh, what we uh, do battle against as Christians. The world, that is the, the, the world's uh, ideas that are opposed to God. We, we, we do battle against those things, right? We do battle against ourselves in some sense, right? Because our own hearts often want things that we shouldn't want and we often don't want the things that we should want. And so we do battle with, with 
that, that sinful part of ourselves. But not only that, we do battle against Satan and his fallen angels because, and one of the ways that we do that is by sharing the gospel with people. Because Satan, what he would love for every single one of you, if you are a Christian in this room, you know what Satan would love? He would love it if you would never share Jesus with anyone. He would love it if you would never share the gospel. He would love it if you would remain silent. But that is not the call of the Christian. We are called to share Christ with people because Christ is the one who sets people free from the kingdom of darkness and brings them into the kingdom of God. And so in this section here, Paul, what he's doing is he's, he's kind of, uh, he's pulling back the curtain. He's revealing the identity of the opposition of the, the spiritual forces of darkness that are at work in our world, deceiving people. In another, in another passage, Paul, when he talks about um, preaching the gospel, he talks about the fact that the reason that someone doesn't believe the gospel is not because it's not logical, it's not because it's not true. The reason that they don't believe the gospel is because Satan has blinded them. Satan has deceived them into thinking that God is not real, that God does not love them, and that God would not forgive them of all the bad things that they've ever done. Those are some of the basic deceptions that Satan likes to throw out there. And so what Paul is is doing here is he's actually, if you look at verse 12 there. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so what Paul is doing here is he's, he's showing these, these Christians that when you see a person who is opposed to Christ, when you see a government system that is opposed to Christ, you're not doing battle with that person. You're not trying to, uh, to fight against that person because that person is being deceived. That government system is being deceived by Satan. That is the, the level of, of power that this enemy has. He has the ability to deceive individuals and nations. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has the ability to open eyes, to, to, uh, to uh, make us awake to the reality that we have an enemy who is a liar and a murderer. Jesus said that he is that way and has been that way from the very beginning. He wants nothing but to destroy us. In fact, I was thinking about this on the way over here. Satan hates you so much that he would love to see you separated from the love of God for eternity. How wicked is that? That he would love to see, he would love to see you robbed of experiencing infinite love and joy and peace for eternity. What a monster. And so what Paul is doing here is he's trying to awaken us to the reality that 
if you see someone who is opposed to your faith, just recognize they are not the enemy. If you see someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, that person's not the enemy. Satan is the enemy, and he's deceiving them. And we should pray for them. We should share Christ with them. We should, as, as much as is within us and as God gives us the ability, try to persuade them of the gospel, persuade them of their sinfulness and of their need for a savior. I think about it like this. How many of you have seen um, like the old Scooby-Doo? Have you guys ever seen that? Okay, a few of you. So Scooby-Doo is kind of this, it's like this mystery cartoon, and it's about these teenage, uh, these teenage, uh, I don't know what you call them, detectives, right? And there's always this mystery that they're trying to solve, right? And uh, late teens, maybe. Yeah, late, late teens, you know, early 20s, I don't know. Um, th- and things, like Scooby-Doo is different now than it was when I was a kid. So I don't even know what they're up to these days. Um, but when I was a kid you would have this, uh, the, they would have a particular bad guy for each episode, right? And, like, I can think of an episode where it was called the Minor 49er, okay? So it's this, like, ghost dude who is like a, a miner, right? And you come to the end of the episode and you find out that he was trying to keep, you know, the gold for himself, right? And so he creates this, this, this ghost to try and scare people away, this ghost persona. And what you see at the end of every episode is you see the Scooby-Doo and the gang. At the end of every episode, they pull the mask off the person. And they're like, oh, it's Mr. Jones all along. Right. And so and then, you know, then you have that that obligatory comment where he's like, yeah, and I would have got away with it, too, if it wasn't for you and that that stinking dog of yours or whatever he says. Right. And that's kind of what Paul is doing here in this passage a little bit is he's pulling the mask off and he's saying, hey, that that person that's opposed to Jesus, they're not the problem. Satan is the problem. He hates them. He doesn't want them to experience infinite love. He doesn't want them to experience the freedom of the gospel. He doesn't want them to experience the joy of knowing and being known by the God who loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And so this passage for us and what Paul was doing for these these Christians is really such amazing grace. God is revealing the opposition. He's, he's, he's making us aware of the fact that we do have an enemy. And whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, Satan does not want you. He does not have a good plan for your life. His plan is that you would join him in hell and that you would be miserable forever. That is what he would love. But thanks be to God, because Jesus has a better plan for your life. Jesus came and he opposed the opposer. Jesus came and did battle with Satan. Satan threw every temptation that he had at him. Satan tried to get him to, uh, to fall down and worship him. Satan tried to get him to, uh, to walk away from the path that, that his father had given him that And he tried to essentially derail God's plan of salvation, but Satan was unsuccessful. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life as God the Father always planned. But not only that, 
Jesus came and he died in our place, paying the penalty for our sins. And not only that, but Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He ascended back to the Father, and he is now ruling and reigning over all things. And he is in the process of restoring all things that have been broken by our rebellion. And so, by way of application, what we need to remember is that we must remember that behind every human opposition, there is demonic deception. Behind every human opposition, there is demonic deception that is happening. And this is where the gospel comes in because we as Christians can often be, even we ourselves can be deceived at times. And what we need to remember is for those moments when we fail, when we believe the lie, you're not loved. God will never forgive you. No one will love you because of that thing that you did. Those are the fiery darts that he talks about a little bit later in verse 16. What we need to remember in those moments is that we have a Savior, Jesus, who came and triumphed over the one who opposes us. And he did so because he loves you more than you can possibly imagine, and because he wants you to be with him forever. So my question for us is, do we really believe that we have spiritual that we have a spiritual enemy? Do we really believe that we have opposition that is deceiving our friends, our family members? And if we really believe that, are you praying for your friends? Maybe you're sitting right here and you don't believe in Christ. You are being deceived right now. Satan is deceiving you. And you should pray to Jesus to deliver you from that deception. But if you are a Christian, really, really simply, how you apply this truth is to begin to pray for those who do not know Jesus. Instead of being frustrated at the fact that maybe they weren't convinced by your great argument for Jesus. Instead of being frustrated at the fact that they, don't believe this, that they don't believe what you believe, ask God to deliver them because God is the only one who can deliver people. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can open eyes and, and give the gift of faith. We cannot exercise faith in and of ourselves. It must be something that comes from God. It's a gift. So are we actually praying for God to rescue the people who are deceived? Are we praying for God to rescue us from that deception? So, there is an enemy. We are being opposed. If you're a Christian and if you're not a Christian, you're being opposed at every moment. You need to know that. 
But you don't only need to know that. You need to know this, this next point, which is this, is that God has granted to us equipment for the battle. God has granted to us equipment for the battle. Look at verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength and in the strength of his might. Drop down to verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then once more, drop down to verse 22. And it says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, you might be a little bit curious how 18 and 22 fit into this idea that God has granted to us equipment for the battle. Well, I'm going to explain that. You see, in this section where Paul uh, describes the armor of God, the first thing that we need to recognize is that, this, that these provisions for the battle, they're not for everybody. They are only for those who are in Christ. So if you are not in Christ, this thing is not, this, what is being described here, this is not for you. But if you are in Christ, it is already yours. Does that make sense? That's an important distinction to make because oftentimes we think that we can just get the gifts of God without the relationship with God. And that's just not the case. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ. That is, if you are in a relationship with Christ, if you have repented of your sins and if you have given your whole life to Jesus, then this armor, this equipment that we're about to talk about, that's for you. It is God's gift to you. It is yours already. So let's talk about what we see here. So there's three things so I told you two points, but this one has like three subpoints. So I snuck in a few extra just for you. Um, <laughs> but so there's three things that we need to observe. Uh, the first element of this equipment is God's strength. God's strength. The second element is God's armor. And the third element is God's people. So God's strength, God's armor, and God's people. So let's, let's start with God's strength. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay? So what Paul is saying to these Ephesians as he is, he's about to reveal, hey, you, you the Christian life is going to be warfare. You, Satan will dog you for the rest of your days. And as he's revealing that, he's reminding them, before he tells them about the opposition, he's like, hey, don't try and do this in your own strength. If you do, it's going to be a disaster. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so what Paul is doing there is he's revealing their weakness and our weakness by extension as we read this passage, our weakness 
God's strength, and he says, God has given that to you in Christ. It is yours. Receive the strength that God offers to you. And we do that through having a relationship with Jesus, asking God to strengthen us, and reading the scripture, praying, being in fellowship with other believers. Those are ways that we are strengthened. Okay? So he reveals our strength, God's weakness, or excuse me, our weakness, God's strength, and he says, you need God's strength because you're weak. Essentially is what he's saying there. But not only that, he says that Christians need God's armor to protect them against the enemy. To protect them against the enemy. And this once more is just pointing to the reality that we don't have the ability to protect ourselves from from the devil. We don't have the ability to protect ourselves against the deceit, against the temptation to be divisive, against uh, the temptation to ruin relationships, to destroy. We don't have the ability to protect ourselves. We need God to give us his armor to protect us. And we'll unpack that a little bit more. But not only that, Paul says, he describes, if you look at verse 18, he says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then verse 19, he says, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And then in verse 22, he describes how he sent uh, Tychicus, uh, a beloved brother, to these Ephesians. And then if you drop down at the end of verse 22 there, it says that he may encourage your hearts. And so what Paul is saying there is not only has God uh, given to us his strength in Christ, not only has he given to us his armor in Christ, but he has also given to us his people, the people of Christ, so that we may be strengthened, so that we may be uh, protected against the evil one. What's significant, actually, is the imagery that Paul uses is very common. It's, it's uh, the, the armor that a Roman soldier would wear. Now, what's significant about that is the shield that they would use, right? Have you got, how many of you guys have ever seen like a picture of the turtle formation? Have you guys seen this? If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, which you should because it's great, um, Unless your parents don't let you watch R-rated movies, then don't tell them that I recommended it. But it's a good movie. Um, but in there, you see uh, how this whole army, what they do is they raise their shields. They stand close together, right? You've got shields in the front, shields on top, right? And so that's kind of the idea of this turtle formation. And it's from that protected position that they move forward and plow through the enemy, but it's significant to note that it's not just one dude with a shield, right? It's a whole group. It's a whole army not, that they moves. They just put like everybody just in their own little box that they wanted to. But. Yeah, it's, it's a group all together moving forward. It's also worth noting that when Paul gives a command to take up the armor of God, every single time he gives this command, it's always in what's called the second person plural. 
which does, probably doesn't mean anything to you, but I'm about to explain it. English doesn't necessarily have a second person plural. So the closest is y'all, okay? So when, when exactly. So when, uh, when Paul says, uh, take up the whole armor of God, what he's actually saying is y'all, everybody, you all together take up the armor of God, right? And so it's this idea that we together, Samantha helps me take up the armor of God. I help her take up the armor of God. TJ helps me, encourages me to take up the armor of God, reminds me of the gospel. We need one another. And so God has given us not only his strength in Christ, his, uh, his armor, but he's also given us his people. And so I think a way that might illustrate this or a way that might be helpful for you is, see, and I, I talked about this already, there is a temptation to think that, uh, especially in the modern church, that you don't really need to be a member of a church. You don't really need to be, have the church be your, like, your main friend group. It's just you and Jesus, lone wolf in it. You'll be okay. When in reality... What this passage is teaching us is that to do all of this effectively, we need one another. I need you, you need me, if we are going to oppose the enemy, if we are going to do spiritual battle. Uh, There was a movie that came out a few years back um, called Hacksaw Ridge, okay? And the movie is basically, it's about this guy named Desmond Doss. And uh, he is, uh, he, so he's a Christian, but he doesn't believe in violence. He doesn't believe in carrying a weapon. So he goes, he's, so he's drafted, right? He goes into the army during World War II as a medic, but he will not hold a weapon in battle. Everybody hates him for it. They think that like he doesn't have their back. And, and so it's this story of this guy who he is basically saying, he's like, I don't want to take lives. I want to save lives, which on the face of it sounds really good. But you can't live that way in the Christian life. You can't go into a spiritual battle without spiritual strength and without spiritual weapons. You will be destroyed. And so what God is conveying to us is that we need to make use of all that he has provided for us in Christ, namely his strength, his armor, and his people. And what's really cool about the armor a lot of times people make a big deal about going into all the details of what each one is and what it represents. But I don't think that that was Paul's intention because actually as you look at other passages, he uses different phrases but the same imagery. And so Paul's intention is this, is that the armor, what it's meant to convey is the strength that the gospel of Jesus Christ conveys. Look with me once again. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put, so having uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
And so what Paul is saying there, he's saying, when you are in, uh, in the midst of a spiritual battle, maybe you are having these thoughts that are coming into your head, could be from your own sinful nature, could be from the enemy outside of you, saying that you, you're not a real Christian. Look at what you did yesterday. A, re- a person who's saved wouldn't really do that. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying in that moment, you need to be held together by the truth of the gospel. You need to be held together by the fact that you are not a Christian based on your good works. You're a Christian based on the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and he loves you and he purchased you to be part of God's family. And so you remind yourself of the truth and that is what holds everything together. That is what holds you up in those moments. But not only that, that having put on the breastplate of righteousness, it's not your righteousness because you in and of yourself are not righteous. You can never be righteous in and of yourself. So what this is talking about is it's talking about the righteousness of Jesus that is given to you as a gift So when you fall short, when you disobey God, and you know you disobeyed God, you need to remind yourself of the gospel in that moment, that you have the righteousness of Christ. That God, as a gift, when you came to Jesus and you said, I'm sorry for my sins, please forgive me, I give my whole life to you. In that moment, God gave to you the righteousness of Christ. And it says, and in effect, has said, Even though you are a sinner, by faith you have now come into a relationship with my son, and I am going to treat you as I would treat him. I am going to look at you as though you lived that perfect sinless life. And that is because we, when we come to Christ, when we give our lives to him, we become one with Jesus. Sometimes it's called the the great exchange or the the scandal of grace is that God, this talks about this in 2 Corinthians, God on the cross, if you're a Christian, God placed your sins on Jesus and punished them there. And then when you become a Christian, God takes the righteousness of Jesus that he lived throughout his 30 or 33 years on this earth and he places that on you and it says that you are righteous not because of anything that you have ever done, but because of the one whom you are connected to, Jesus. But not only that, it says, as, for your feet, verse, uh, as shoes for your feet, verse 15, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So when you feel no peace, when you feel like maybe you're at odds with God or like your life is falling apart, you remind yourself of the gospel. You remind yourself of the fact that God has, has done away with the conflict between you and him, and you are right with God. You have peace with God. That's Romans 5, 1 and 2. But not only that, verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And this is really important. I mean, they're all really important, but this is really important too because Satan can't take 
your salvation. He can't take you out of the family of God, but he certainly will try and make you feel like you're not part of the family of God. And if you think otherwise, don't. <laughs> he, he can't take your salvation, but he would love to kill your joy. And so what he, what Paul is communicating here is he's saying, take up the shield of faith. In other words, come back to the gospel. Believe the truth that whatever, that regardless of what you think about yourself or what Satan tries to make you think about yourself, you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared to dream in Christ. That is what the shield of faith it looks like. It looks like having faith in the gospel, having faith in the word of God more than you have faith in your feelings. Does that make sense? But not only that, take up the helmet of salvation, which is interesting because the helmet protects the mind, right? Protects the brain. And so it's like, once again, it's the gospel that protects our minds. And finally, the sword of the Spirit and prayer. These are the offensive weapons. In fact, when you see how Jesus withstood Satan and his temptations, you notice what Jesus did every single time? Satan says, do this thing. And Jesus is like, thus saith the Lord. The word of God says, every time he comes back with this offensive weapon, says, Get out of here, Satan. Take your lies with you. I will believe the truth of God more than what you say. And I'll just, I'll just kind of finish with this last, little, this last little thing. Some people think that because of the way that the, the Greek is in this passage, that verse... 18 there, praying at all times in the spirit, which just means in accordance with the word of God. That's what that phrase in the spirit means. Some people think that prayer is the way that we put on this armor. And I think that makes a lot of sense because what you are doing is you are, when, when you pray, you are coming to God and you are responding to what he said in his word. That's what prayer is, okay? And so in those moments when you, when you pray, you are taking those truths to God and you're saying, God, I feel like you could never love me. God, I feel like you could never forgive me. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so it's in those moments of, of being in a relationship with Jesus and, and communicating with him that we take up the armor. It's through a relationship with Christ. And so we can say this, that each of these pieces of armor point to a little piece of the gospel. 
we may rightly say that living in light of the gospel prepares us for spiritual battle. Living in light of the gospel prepares us for spiritual battle. And so we'll close with this. We must always remember, always be aware that there is a war that is taking place right now, a spiritual battle that is taking place for the souls of men and women. And if you are in Christ, you have been conscripted, to use an old word, you have been brought into the army of God. And you, you wield the weapons of God, the word of God, and prayer to do battle against the enemy. You see, uh, I once heard it said that the way that we do violence in the kingdom of God is not with physical weapons, but it's with the word of God and prayer. This is how we wage the good warfare. And so Paul wants these Ephesians to be aware of the fact that God has given to them in Christ all that they need for every battle that is ahead. And that is my prayer for us as we finish this, as we finish this book and we move into a different book next week. I want us to, to realize that regardless of what's going on in your life right now, God has given to you everything that you need to endure that. God has given to you everything that you need for every battle that is ahead. And all that you need to do, dear Christian, is to come to Jesus and rely on him. At every moment of your life, put on Christ. Because in Christ, you will be able to stand against the enemy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask, Lord, that you, that you would help us in these moments, in these, uh, in these evil days, Lord, when we see uh, an entire culture that has turned against you in our, own, in our own country. Lord, I pray that you would be with us in those moments when we turn against you. I pray, God, that you would help us to continually come back to the gospel, to continually come back to Jesus and to really believe that you have given us all that we need for every situation, for every spiritual battle that lies ahead. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us, that you would give us your strength because we need it, we are weak. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.